Hello, Connected Parents, and welcome to another episode of Connected Parenting. Today, I want to talk about teenage angst, and in particular, the age of 15. 15 is a tough age for teenagers, and I call that the existential year. So we'll dive into that today, and I'll help you figure out what's going on in your teenager's brain and what you can do to help comfort them and soothe them and get them through it. Hi, everyone. I'm Jennifer Colary. I'm a child and family therapist and a parenting coach and the founder of Connected Parenting. And welcome to the Connected Parenting Weekly Podcast. Join me every week and we'll tackle everything from temper tantrums to bedtime to sibling issues to teenage angst. Parenting can be so wonderful, but it can be so hard. Parents often say to me, hey, can you just come live at my house? This is the next best thing. Let's do this together. So the best place to start is with remembering what it was like to be 15. It's a tricky age, 15, because you're way too old for a lot of things and way too young for a lot of things. So you're kind of stuck in this weird stage where you're not really a young teenager anymore, but you're nowhere near being old enough to do the things that you want to do. College or university is still really far away. And in terms of brain development, at around 14, 15, there's this an explosion of uh, neural activity that the brain kind of develops and makes connections almost as intensely um, and as quickly as the brain does prior to the age of five. So it is really an explosive time for the teenage brain. So there's a few things I want to kind of put out there just to understand about teenagers in general. So the first thing you have to know is that the teenage brain is very different. There are more synapses in the teenage brain. There are more neural connections. And then as they get older, the brain kind of prunes and clips and actually designs the adult brain. But as a teenager, there's just way too much going on in there. And because of that, teenagers tend to get bored much more easily than adults. They tend to be more susceptible to addiction, which is why often this is the height um, of the kind of age where they're on their phones like crazy and they're all they want to do is play video games. Um, that's a very intense time for the brain in terms of being susceptible to addiction. Um, it, it, it's a time where the brain has a very difficult time regulating emotion. So if your child is not neurotypical and has issues on top of that, um, that's something to consider. But for most uh, teenagers who are at, right at the sort of mid uh, teenage years, uh, it's a pretty intense time for the brain. And the brain, it's basically a tsunami of emotion at this time. In fact, they've done really interesting studies where they've shown adults um, pictures and images and had them kind of calculate and figure out what the person was feeling in the picture. And they're pretty accurate at it. And then they showed those same pictures to teens and they were horrible at it really all over the place, especially with um, recognizing things like um, sadness or guilt or some of the, it just, they really had a very difficult time. So the brain really kind of experiences things first and then it gets run through the frontal lobe, which is just starting to come online. This is why sometimes your 15 year old will be quite rational really seem to be understanding what's going on and really seem quite mature. And then if you catch them at the wrong moment, they will seem like a four-year-old again, where they're, you know, screaming and yelling. So there, it's a very confusing time for the brain. So it's important to know that a teenage brain is not an adult brain 
And who your child is uh, at uh, you know, 14, 15, 16 is not who they're going to be. They're in progress. The brain is under construction and you're going to be starting to see you know, their opinions and things that they're good at and their, how they feel politically about things. And you'll see this amazing human being emerging, but it's in a very tumultuous time for the brain. So what happens in particular at 15 is they really start saying things like, what's the point in anything? Why even bother? I'm just going to grow up and be a boring adult anyway. What's the point? Um, I don't want to have a job. Um, you know, the world is a mess. Is there even going to be a world for me? So they'll sort of take all of these huge existential issues and they'll be quite intense for them. If you're lucky, your teen will actually be telling you these things. Often teenagers will think these things and feel these things, but they won't necessarily share them. And this is where the calm technique comes in. Now, when your child is struggling and they're suffering and they're having a really difficult time, you're going to have this incredibly powerful urge to cheer them up, to pull them out of it, to give them perspective. But look at how much you have and look how lucky you actually are. Look at all these advantages that you have. You can actually make a difference in the world. You're going to feel every bone in your body is going to want you to make them feel better. But what will happen in that moment, which I'm sure you've discovered, is they will double down. And you will hear things like, no, you don't get it. Or, well, now I just feel guilty. Now I feel like I don't even have, and I'm not entitled at all to any of these emotions because I shouldn't be feeling any of these things because I'm in such a lucky position in my life. And they will double down. And that, that argument will often make them feel worse. Um, sometimes we'll get angry as parents, you know, we'll just be like, this is ridiculous. And you've got to, you know, pull up, pull yourself up and get it together here. You're just making things worse. And as you do that and sort of get into that heavier side of the conversation, as long as you're trying to talk them out of it, they're going to talk you into it. And as they're talking you into it, they're further talking themselves into it. So you are doing the exact opposite of what I'm sure your intention is, which is to give them perspective and help them feel better. There will be a time for that in the conversation. And if there is a time for that, they will let you know when that is, but it's certainly not at the beginning. So I want you to go back, listen to uh, episode one and episode two, where I really dive deeply into the calm technique, into the steps that you take when you are deeply listening to another person. And I want you to remember that when you're talking to your teenager this way, it's going to feel very counterintuitive. It's going to feel like the exact opposite <laughs> what you should be doing, but I promise you it is exactly what you should be doing. And it's also what we all crave when we're upset. We want to be understood, not talked out of it, not convinced otherwise. We want to be understood. And that's where the medicine happens. That's where the oxytocin flows, the opiates, the natural endorphins. That's where biochemically your child starts to be bathed in these beautiful chemicals. They start to feel deeply understood and heard and seen and now their own brain, their own frontal lobe can start to kick on and say things like, well, maybe you're right, or maybe I should do this, or what did you do when you were 15? That's how you'll know. And that will be the time where you can actually talk about perspective. And sometimes it's not completely linear like that. Sometimes you'll start that conversation and they'll back up a little bit and go, no, forget it. That's not going to help. And then you just mirror again and you just sort of um, empathically connect and then you might fail and, and blow it, 
Um, there'll be an empath what's called an empathic failure. And then you do a repair. You know what? That didn't help at all. That was like the worst thing I could have said. Let's go back to what we were talking about before. I'm sorry. I missed the boat on that. And then you get them back. And then now you're again, back in this lovely empathic moment and just kind of, you just kind of ebb and flow through this and you have to really trust yourself. So a few things have to happen first before these conversations. One is to make sure you're really grounded yourself. So that you really are anchored, that you're coming at your child from a place of love, not fear, that you know this is how they are feeling in this moment. It doesn't mean this is always how they're going to feel. It's just that teenage brain where it's just a tsunami of emotion is overwhelmed at the moment and they will probably be fine in half an hour or an hour. But in this moment, they need you and they need you to dare to be there. So really ground yourself. And then in the conversation, if it really becomes a vortex where you know, you're mirroring and it's still not really helping, you can do what I call darting in and darting out. So you, you say things like, you know, I love you and I know you're having a hard time and I'm sorry your brain is doing this to you and you're really thinking about all these heavy things that we really just don't have the answers to and you're really feeling it. But I don't think I'm helping that much. So I'm going to leave for a few minutes. Maybe I'll make some tea or something. Would you like anything? I'll come back on a check on you. So you just kind of go move in and move out of the room because it's very hard to be in that um, really heavy space for a long time without kind of getting pulled under yourself. And it's okay to say, I love you. I'm just going to go and do a few things and I'm going to come back and I'm going to check in on you. And sometimes they'll say, fine, leave. Who cares? You don't care anyway. Um, and sometimes they'll be perfectly fine with you leaving and coming back. Um, the other thing that really helps when your teen is sort of going through this um, kind of existential thing is to connect a lot when they're not like that. So when they come out of their room, like remember to joke with them and, you know, mirror about ordinary everyday things, not just the serious heavy things. Make sure you're bringing that calm technique into general conversation because that's where you're actually getting a lot, to, a lot of oxytocin. That's actually really strengthening them and building them and helping them. Don't forget to use little stickers on the bathroom mirror or icons or um, emojis can be really helpful just to remind them how much you love them. Just these little moments of connection. And remember that, you know, when they come in the room, it's really hard with your teen going through this because they're in their rooms a lot or they're, you know, kind of withdrawn a great deal. And, you know, when they finally come in the room, you're like, what about that assignment you have to do? What about the dishwasher you haven't unloaded? And, and we tend to sort of jump on them because there's so little time to actually get some of those things done and those messages across, but they'll often go right back into their room. So make sure when they're first out that the first part of that is connection is maybe like having a little moment, some humor, uh, just something where you want to sort of drop these little pebbles where they walk away from you feeling like, oh, that actually felt pretty good. That was pretty nice. Instead of, oh, there she goes again, right? We really want to balance that. I know that we have to, there are practical things that we have to do with our kids. And sometimes those are things that are better to do by text. Sometimes doing those by text, hey, don't forget you have to unload the dishwasher. I'd love if you could do it by five, right? By text. You don't have any, there's no eye rolling. There is no uh, microaggression. There is no anger on your part. There's no facial expressions to navigate. Navigate is just really clean and clear with a text. So that can really help. This is also a time where you might want to pull out the baby pictures. You know, pull out those baby pictures. Look what I found or send them a quick, um, 
I don't know, a little series of photos or, or have them come and look at some, some baby videos when they were little, um, that can really help. Um, absolutely help. And then I guess the last thing to really remember here is your, your instinct will be to try to talk them out of it and tell them that it's going to be okay. And tell them that being an adult, you know, it's certainly hard, but there's also wonderful things about being an adult adult, and there will be time to do that. But in the moment you want to dare to be there. So this is tricky. This is one of the hardest things to learn at Connected Parenting. And remember, you can go back to the earlier podcasts. If you really want to do a deep dive into this uh, method, we've got our online course. We actually have a version also where I interact with everyone on Facebook group and also in uh, with uh, monthly coaching calls. We've got our village. We've got lots of teen parents of teens in there also. It's not just parents with smaller kids. And we try to you know, meet everyone's needs and sometimes even split the groups up depending on the the makeup of it. Um, and I also have my other podcast, which is the mental health comedy podcast, which is really um, strategy driven. So if you're looking for strategies yourself to kind of stay grounded and deal with all the anxiety that comes with raising a teen, especially a teen that's struggling, that's also a really helpful resource. So thanks again. And I will see you on the next episode of Connected Parenting.